0: Well, welcome again to Hope. My name is Derek. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. And uh, we're excited to be diving into, pun intended, diving into the book of Jonah. Uh, This week, we're gonna spend actually this week and then the following four weeks after this, uh, going through Jonah, this incredible story. That was fun, wasn't it? To just sit and listen to that whole story. It's a story that um, is probably familiar to most of you. It's a story that gets a lot of notoriety Because kids grow up learning it. Kids, if they grow up in Sunday school, grow up hearing that story. Probably, even if you're a kid who didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard that story. It also gets a lot of notoriety from skeptics who look at it and say, see, these kind of things could never happen. And the reason why it's so popular with kids and the reason why skeptics point to it is because at the center of the story is a big fish that swallows a man and spits him up on shore. Now, the fish, of course, gets a lot of notoriety, and it's easy for the fish to kind of take all of our attention. But what I want to tell you this morning is that at the center of the story is something much bigger than that fish, something much greater than the great city of Nineveh or the great fish that swallows Jonah. And it is the great mercy of the Lord. That's really what Jonah is about. It is a story about God's deep mercy. It's a story about God's deep mercy that is deeper than oftentimes we think it should be or could be. That's really what the story of Jonah is about. God's deep mercy that once we understand it actually changes us. We need to hear this this morning because we are a lot like the characters in this story. We could be like Jonah who runs away from God, hears God's word and decides, I think that I'll do something totally different. We can be like the sailors or like the Ninevites who may need to hear the word of the gospel for the first time. We can even be like Jonah who doesn't like that God is so merciful, who wants God to hate all of the same people that he hates. We need to hear this story this morning. Here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. Uh, Jonah is a book that kind of lays itself out in four parts, those four chapters that you heard read this morning. Today, I'm going to introduce the whole thing. We're going to talk just pretty briefly about Jonah as a whole, and then we'll dive in to chapter one next week. So Jonah, this story of God's deep mercy laid out in four parts, we're going to talk then about four things that we learn about God's mercy from Jonah four things that we learn about who God is and His deep mercy for us and why that should matter to us. Here's the first one, is that we learn from Jonah that God's deep mercy actually overcomes our failures. God's mercy overcomes our failure. When Randy read those first words of Jonah, you heard it opens up with God talking to Jonah, saying, arise, go to Nineveh. And then you hear the next thing is Jonah responds. That's what's supposed to happen, actually, is that God calls and we respond. The problem is Jonah responds just the opposite way than what God calls him to. Jonah lives uh, in Israel. Nineveh is in Assyria. Assyria is east of Israel But Jonah, when he hears the call to go to Nineveh, east of Israel, travels west to Joppa to board a boat that's going to take him further west across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Tarshish. Jonah says, not only am I not going to Nineveh, I'm going exactly the opposite direction, and I'm going to get on a boat and head even further that direction myself. Now, furthermore, Jonah is a prophet, The prophet's job is to actually say what God tells him to say to the people who God calls him to tell it to. The prophet is supposed to be God's mouthpiece. And so Jonah is not just a disobedient disciple, he's actually refusing to proclaim God's word. Now, this may sound all kind of far off, towns, cities we've never heard of, people traveling in boats and fishes and all of that business, but we do the same thing, don't we? Because we actually have God's Word. Here's here's the beautiful part about living in 2019, is that God's Word has come to us as well. It's come to us revealed in the Bible, His Word given to us that we can have and hold and read. Fortunately for us, we don't have to rely on prophets traveling around to tell us these things. We have His Word. But that's actually a responsibility too, isn't it? We have His Word He's spoken to us. Uh, Not long ago, I I said something to someone else that was very hurtful to joy. It was careless in the way that I said it. I knew that it could be hurtful. It was foolish. It was unloving. But I said it. Now, I know God's Word, at least a little bit. I I have multiple copies of it in my house. I even read it. Not as often as I should, but I read it. I know God says that I'm supposed to be careful with my words. I know God says that I'm supposed to use my words to build up rather than tear down. I know that He says that I'm supposed to lay down my life for my wife. I know that He says that I'm supposed to take care in the way that I promote her to others. And furthermore, because I'm a Christian, and if you're a Christian, this is the same of you... The Holy Spirit dwells in me, the Bible says. So I actually have God's Spirit in me that is convicting me of sin, that is guiding me and sanctifying me. And so I have the Holy Spirit saying, Derek, that would be a really stupid thing to say. Don't say that. Don't open your mouth right now. But I did. The word of the Lord came to Derek, son of Randy, and he traveled to Tarshish, just the opposite direction. What do we do when we find ourselves as total failures? What do we do when we open up God's Word and we see a total failure like Jonah? What do we have to hope in? Well, our hope is that God's mercy is deeper than our sin as we have just sung. Our hope is that God's mercy is greater than we even think it could be or should be sometimes. Our hope is that God's mercy actually overcomes failures like us. See, we could have read that story like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah instead got up and booked a ticket to Tarshish, and so the Lord struck him down. End of story. That would have been well within God's rights. That would have been just. Or Jonah boarded a ship to Tarshish, and the Lord brought a storm, and it sunk the boat, and Jonah died. That would have also made sense. Or the sailors threw Jonah overboard and he sank to the bottom of the ocean and he died. That also would have made sense. It would have been what Jonah deserved. But it's not what Jonah got. God was merciful, deeply merciful to Jonah. He is deeply merciful to us as well. This is a great story of God's deep mercy that is deeper oftentimes than we even want it to be, than we think that it could be, than we think that it should be. He's merciful even to failures. Here's a second thing, is that God's mercy overcomes our shame. All right, look at what Jonah does. Again, we're still kind of in chapter 1 here. Jonah not only boards this ship... Going to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction, and across the Mediterranean Sea, he is going as far away as he can from where God tells him to go. But did you pick up on this too? He's on the boat, and he goes as far down deep into the boat as he can find. He finds the deepest, darkest corner in the boat, and then, just in case you thought he couldn't retreat any further, he goes to sleep. Now, I don't know if this is a technical term, but I'm going to call it shame sleep, This is Jonah retreating as far as possible and saying, you know, I can't deal with myself. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to hear God talking to me. I can't deal with all of this. So the best thing for me to do is just, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'll remove myself from the world. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've just kind of checked out from the world and literally just gotten in your bed and gone to sleep for hours or days. Or maybe your removal is simply removing yourself from relationships. Or it's kind of checking out and numbing yourself just by overdosing in entertainment. Whatever it is, sleep or relational removal or, you know, Netflix numbing, whatever it is, it's all driven by the same thing. And that's running away from our shame, running away from our guilt. Uh, There's a character in one of Flannery O'Connor's novels who says this very famously, that he thought that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. What that means is, if I can somehow find out how to run away from my sin and not deal with it, then I won't have to deal with the difficult process of repentance and faith. Then I won't actually have to deal with Jesus in reality. I can deal with the kind of fake Jesus, and He won't actually have to come to work here. We can do that sometimes, can't we? Retreat, run away. Now, here's what's even worse for Jonah, is that retreat actually led him even into cynicism. See, Jonah retreats further and further, and the Lord continues to pursue him. And the Lord brings a storm that's supposed to wake him up, right? And then he brings the captain of the ship, who actually literally does wake him up. And then he's in front of all of these sailors, and they're saying, who is it that could be responsible for this? What's happened? And finally, Jonah at least gets this part, and he says, it's me, I'm running away from God. But what's supposed to happen here? He's supposed to repent. This is God calling Jonah to repentance. Jonah is supposed to call on the name of the Lord, offer sacrifice, make vows, which, by the way, are all the things that we see the pagan sailors doing, not the things that we see God's prophet doing. And just FYI, this is a theme that runs through the book of Jonah. The people who are not God's people in the book of Jonah are always acting more godly than Jonah, the one who's supposed to be actually godly, the prophet of God. But Jonah, instead of crying out to the Lord, instead of repenting, instead of clinging to the Lord's mercy, says, you know what? Just throw me overboard. Let's just get rid of me. Let's just be done with this. He sinks into despair thinking that he will sink to the bottom of the sea and it'll all be done. But God's mercy is deeper than Jonah's despair. God's mercy is deeper than that sea. God's mercy overcomes even our shame and what leads to our cynicism and the despair that we oftentimes feel. If you're anywhere in that spectrum this morning. Let me remind you of God's mercy. It is deep enough to overcome your guilt, your shame, your cynicism, your despair. Here's a third thing that we learn about God's mercy from Jonah. It not only overcomes our failures, overcomes our sin, but God's mercy is deep enough to overcome hard hearts The hardest of hearts, the people that you think could never repent and never come to God. So Nineveh, like we said, is a city in Assyria. Assyria at the time was a major world power. And if you look at kind of the Assyrian history, you'll see that actually just a few years after this, Assyria is the country that attacks Israel and really ends Israel's history The northern country of God's kingdom, Israel, is actually attacked and taken captive and sent into exile by Assyria. They're the ones who are going to do that. In fact, a few years after Jonah, uh, there's a rise of these Assyrian kings who are incredibly cruel and, and really just expand their empire in these horrific ways and attack so many people and spill so much innocent blood. They are not nice people. Now, at the time that Jonah is actually preaching here, and we know of kind of when he lived from the book of 2 Kings, Israel is actually in some relative peace. They're pretty strong politically. So, they're not necessarily threatened by an attack from Assyria. They're probably feeling pretty okay about their standing. So, what's going on then here with Assyria and with Nineveh? Well, the only thing that we hear from the book of Jonah is that Nineveh, was an evil place. It may be that those seeds were already starting to sprout that would lead then to this really horrific empire later on. Is that the people of Nineveh who did not know the Lord, who were outside of his people, was, was a wicked and evil and difficult place. It was also a really big city, really important place. And so here is this big, important place with God says at the end of Jonah, 200,000 people that live there. And by and large, they are all turned against God. Now, if you are reading the book of Jonah, and you're an Israelite, and you're reading it either just before or right after this exile into Assyria, you would have no trouble believing that the the town of Nineveh should be wiped out because of their wickedness. Like, that would make a lot of sense to you. Here's what wouldn't make sense, that God would be merciful to them. That God would actually send one of His prophets to say, you should repent. That God would send a warning to Nineveh to tell them that He's going to bring destruction on them so that they would have the opportunity to repent. These are the people that are the furthest from your mind of those who uh, will be receptive to God's mercy. I mean, we have these people on our heads, don't we, oftentimes? We're like, oh, that person would make a great Christian, right? They're not a Christian, but, you know, they're not too far from it. But this person over here, man, I don't know how, like, the gospel could ever reach that person. You've got a list in your head right now, I know. The long list of the people who are furthest from the gospel, whose hearts are the hardest, who could never turn. Here's the news from Jonah, is that God's mercy overcomes even the hardest of hearts, who are the folks on that list for you? Let me remind you that God's Spirit is more powerful than their anger. God's Spirit is more powerful than their antagonism. God's Spirit is more powerful than their detachment. God can actually work even in those people. His mercy overcomes even the hardest of hearts. And then here's the final thing that we learn, is that God's mercy also overcomes even our own understanding of it. We've seen God be merciful to Jonah. We've seen God be merciful to the sailors. We've seen God be merciful to the Ninevites. We're seeing God be merciful again to Jonah. But what if you just kind of can't understand that? What if this whole concept of God's mercy just isn't making sense in your head? You could describe the gospel this way, is that you are never so good that you don't need God's grace and mercy, and you are never so bad that you can't have it. There is no one so good that they don't need it, there is no one so bad that they can't receive it. Someone like a prophet, the very insider of insiders, is not so good that he doesn't need God's mercy, and someone like the king of Nineveh is not so bad that he can't receive it. But what's fascinating in this story... Maybe you were just kind of unsatisfied. Maybe you heard the ending of this story for the first time. It's not a very satisfying ending. Jonah just sits and pouts, and he's angry about God's mercy. He just can't understand that his mercy would be that big. One of my favorite stories is Les Miserables. Uh, I'm guessing that many of you have either read the book or seen the play or seen any of the, the movies. And by the way, when I say I love this classic book, what I mean is I like the movie, okay? So I have not actually read that incredibly large book, but I've seen the play I think five times. I've seen multiple of the screen adaptations, and I love this story. Joy makes fun of me, because the last time we saw it on stage, I literally was crying before the curtain went up, okay? It just gets me. And in the story, at the heart of the story, there's these two characters. And and these characters are kind of opposites of one another. One is the hero of the story, Jean Valjean. And he's an ex-con, and he's on the run for most of the story. And he is, in most of the story, he's pouring his life out for others, And then the other character is a man named Javert. He's the cop, the policeman, who who has really dedicated his whole career to tracking down and finding Valjean and arresting him and throwing him back into prison. And what makes these two characters opposite from one another is their response to being shown grace. Valjean, who for the first part of the movie is a very hardened man, uh, ends up at, at a priest's home one night who takes him in, and he takes advantage of this man and steals all of his stuff and all of these wonderful silver trays. And as he's leaving, he's arrested, and the priest comes and finds him, and instead of pressing charges on him, which would have been his right, he forgives him. He, in fact, gives him two candlesticks, these beautiful silver candlesticks, and he says, you forgot the best things. Go with these as well. Being shown grace by this priest totally changes Valjean's life. It changes him from the inside where he he begins to live out the rest of his life as one who pours out himself for others. He finishes out this story by serving and sacrificing for everybody. Grace has changed him completely. Javert is just the opposite. There's this really poignant scene where he is also shown grace and mercy. He's done something really despicable, and, and he's been sentenced actually to death, but Valjean actually takes him and instead of putting him to death, sets him free. He gives him his life. But Javert can't take it. He doesn't know what to do with mercy. He only understands justice and he can't put mercy and justice together. And it drives him even to take his own life. Jonah is a little bit of a Javert character here, isn't he? He doesn't really know what to do with God's mercy. He's sitting on this cliff overlooking this great city full of people who have just repented, who have just called out to the Lord, this whole city that's been converted, and he just can't take it because he wants God to hate all the same people that he hates, and when God doesn't, he doesn't know what to do with it. What do we do with that? What do we do with that when we see it in our own hearts? What do we do with this story and with Jonah? Well, here's one thing. I think a little glimmer of hope for Jonah, is that the only person who could have written things this detailed about what the sailor said, about his prayer in the belly of this fish, about the way that he was called then to preach to Nineveh, the only person that could have written this stuff really is Jonah. So most scholars agree Jonah is the one who wrote this. Now, how do you write something that condemning about yourself? Well, the only way is if your heart has actually been touched by the gospel. You can only be that honest about yourself. You can only paint that kind of picture about yourself if later on you've actually been changed by the gospel. I think there is a glimmer of hope for Jonah that maybe he softened. But here's the bigger hope, is that Jonah shows back up in the New Testament. We have a new and greater Jonah that we worship. Jesus actually tells these crowds in Matthew chapter 12, when they're asking Him to give them a sign, He says, I'll give you a sign, and it's going to be the sign of Jonah. He means two things by this. First of all, He means this, is that I've come to preach repentance, to call you to repentance, just like Jonah did. And here's the thing, if the Ninevites, a godless Assyrian city, repented From the message of a total failure of a prophet, how much more so should you, God's people, listen when God's Son speaks it to you? That's part of his point. But his second point is this. Jesus says, just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish, the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. Jesus is predicting his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What Jesus is saying is that just like Jonah spent those three days that were like death, I'm going to spend three days in actual death. And just like Jonah was spit out onto dry land, resurrected, I'm actually going to be resurrected. And just like Jonah sunk to the bottom, the depths of the sea, I am going to sink to the depths of of hell and death itself so that you might be forgiven. Just like Jonah went to the furthest extremes, even to his own death, in order to resist God's mercy, I am going to go to the furthest extremes, even if it means my own death, in order to give that mercy, in order to achieve it for you. Jesus is our new Jonah. He has been buried like Jonah at the bottom, the depths of sin and hell so that he might take it all for us so that we might be resurrected to new life in Him. The mercy of God is deeper than we think it should be, than we think it could be. It's so deep that His Son would go to the greatest lengths in order to take the judgment that we receive on Himself so that He might show us His mercy. Friends, this is the message that we need to hear today because we are Jonah's and we are sailors and we are Ninevites, and we are those who oftentimes can't even get our heads around the depth of God's mercy. Let me invite you to look to the cross. Look to what Jesus has done on our behalf so that we might see that deep mercy more fully, more clearly today, so that it might change the way that we understand who we are, who God is, and how we relate to those around us. Let's pray that this morning. Lord, we thank you for this incredible story of your mercy, this incredible story of your mercy spread out to people that we think could never receive it, Uh, Lord, to hardened old sailors and to hard-hearted disciples, to, to godless kings and to pouty prophets, and to people like us who need to hear of this mercy. We need to hear this good news that you have come to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, will you speak to our hearts this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.